Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 536. Jones in for a train ride. Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, you know what they say. You have to win them on a cold Friday afternoon in Stoke. <laughs> well, Blackburn are not doing it right now. <laughs> no, no. We've spoken over the last couple of episodes of the momentum that was building. And uh, as we speak, they're currently 2-0 down to Stoke. Um, yeah. Which, you know, look, they weren't going to... I think sometimes when you talk to people about the championship... Uh, and people can get a bit ahead of themselves and start to think as if, you know, you're never going to lose again almost. And it's not the Premier League. Every team can beat pretty much every team. You know, you saw last weekend Burnley drawing away to Blackpool, one of the worst teams in the league. So, you know, Stoke are not terrible. I'm. It's not a good performance, but I'm not too disheartened. Yeah, and we, you know, we were supposed to record after the Blackburn match, but... Uh, two nil down away, you know. I, we figure, why not? Why not hit that record button a little early? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've still got it on just in case. I've not given up hope. <laughs> you know, there's four, thirty minutes to go, so maybe a miracle will happen. But there's not been. Do they have a shot on target yet? Uh, yes. <laughs> no, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. No. No. Actually, no. Technically, no. They do not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, there's. You know, you never know. You got one back. One back before the 80th minute, and then it gets a nervy final few yeah. minutes. That's all you need, you know. They always say 2-1 is the most dangerous lead in football, right? So just one goal to get it to the most dangerous lead. <laughs> Speaking about leads, though, and this isn't a transition to leads. Leeds United? No. Actual advantages. Oh, that would have been so good. <laughs> <laughs> advantages in sport. We don't spend a lot of time talking about cricket, although we might spend a bit more with Major League Cricket about to get well a few months away from getting going but busy period in the cricketing calendar at the moment multiple test matches going on england in a in a one day and t20 series in bangladesh the pakistani super league coming towards the end of its season the indian premier league about to kick off and in the uh, psl today uh, which i usually watch in the afternoon as i'm doing my work i put it on in the background uh, a notable achievement occurred, which you know, you when we talk about franchise cricket, it means all of these various T Twenty leagues around the world. So you have one in England, you've got one in South Africa, Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh has one, Australia, India, the Caribbean. You know, it's pretty much everywhere cricket is played now. And today, the Peshawar Zalmi became the first team in pack in franchise cricket anywhere to score 240 runs or more in consecutive matches which is a huge total in a T20 match to put up 240 wow and what made it even more remarkable is in addition to becoming the first team to score 240 runs in consecutive matches they became the first team to lose in consecutive matches, having scored 240 runs. What? Yeah. Today they scored 242 for six in their first innings, and uh, 
the Multan Sultans with one of the best names wow, in cricket. Great name. Yeah. Great name. <laughs> chase chase that down, scoring 244 for six in with five balls remaining. So in the end, kind of kind of cruised it. Wow, that is both impressive and pathetic at the same time. I was literally going to ask, who are they playing? Like a bunch of just random people they like picked up on the street? No, like, those people must be pretty damn good because they <laughs> turned around and, and outbat them. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, these are high-quality international cricketers. You obviously have, you know, most of Pakistan's best players playing, but you've also got a bunch of West Indians, some Australians, South Africans. Uh, it's it's a you know it's how many sixes are scored in that match? Um, so it's got to be quite a lot. I can tell you. So Peshawar in there in the first innings hit fifteen sixes. Wow! And in reply, the Multan Sultans hit. <laughs> Great name! I got to get a jersey or a t-shirt or something. Hit seventeen sixes. I mean, the standout nice. innings was Riley Rousseau, uh, who scored 121 runs off 51 balls. He hit 12, 12 fours and eight sixes. Oh, my God. So, so he had 20 boundaries and 50 balls. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great rate right there. Yeah, scored at 237.25. <laughs> so for if he'd faced 100 balls, he would have scored over 237 runs at that rate. Wow. Yeah. So it was it was exciting. It wasn't necessarily the highest quality, but it was in terms of bowling and fielding, but it was extremely exciting. Yeah. See, and I think that's why the American Cricket League will be great being a T20 because if you can get matches like that, which okay, you know, we talk a lot of time like with with American football like when teams score 50 versus 47. Okay, there's no defense, and maybe some people want some defense. But at the end of the day, the majority of fans who are casual fans love that offensive output. And to have something like that be the cricket you're presenting to Americans, I think, is a promising uh, way to get cricket involved in America. Yeah, 100%. I think whenever you're trying to spread a sport and get new fans, you need scoring. You know, like it's, if you imagine trying to get someone interested in baseball, you can get them to turn up for one of the best pitching duels of all time and convince them like, this is incredible. We're going to the ninth inning and both pitchers, both starting pitchers have perfect games going. Like this has never (laughs) been seen before. They'll probably be bored. Like yeah. the, the only way but, that you might. But if you told them 32 home runs yeah, in a match. Exactly. <laughs> the only way maybe is if those perfect games were being sort of supported by incredible defensive plays. Like if they were just. Still no. But that might at least. It's still boring. It's But, you know, yeah, you want to see runs scored. You want to see big hits. You know, that's if you're watching cricket or baseball, that's what you want to see. Uh, speaking of which, I have to say I'm. I've been watching some of the preseason baseball to see the changes that they've introduced with the pitch clock and stuff, and it's actually made the pitch clock. It's actually made baseball somewhat watchable, which is yeah, you know, kind of nice. There was a great uh, side by side. I can't remember exactly what team it was, but it was uh, like one pitch in the playoffs versus that same team in the preseason going through an entire 
three outs <laughs> versus literally the time it took for one person to pitch one pitch in a playoff. Yeah. And for uh, people who know. don't understand how long that takes, how long that really means in baseball, they, the guy who's been putting those together, he put the same sort of pitch sequence next to the, the Kentucky Derby of the same year. And the Kentucky Derby was run in less time than it took that pitcher to throw a single pitch at one moment in time. <laughs> so, That's crazy. You know, like, and again, no matter how into the sport you are, it's difficult to justify just having these like two minute long pauses with pickoffs and pitchers, you know, shaking the catcher off and then the batter stepping out of the batter's box. Like no one enjoys that. Like no matter how. Now that Kentucky Derby, did that include the five minute Bernanke breakdown with his stupid whiteboard running around? <laughs> no, it didn't. Nor did it include the probably 25 minute stewards inquiry at the end. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> leading to some baffling disqualification. But yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, it's good. I mean, I'll definitely be watching more baseball. For example, the same, the same logic. I like having sports on in the background that I'm not particularly necessarily invested in when I'm doing other work. Baseball's yeah. kind of been a tough one sometimes because as much as it's suited to that, it's so slow that it's not giving you that consistent semi-distraction. Now, at least, I might find it suitable for like, okay, hey, look, there's an afternoon baseball game. I'll throw that on in the background and keep a, you know, something of an eye on it and get on with the rest of my day. I would have never done that in, in recent years. Yeah, I agree. Now, I know there, you know, not much sports going on, but I think a very big football news Danny Dimes signed to a four-year contract for the New York Giants. Uh, four years, $160 million with, I think, another like 30 to 40 more incentives. And most of it over the first two years, which was actually a great move by the Giants because a lot of times, four- and five-year contracts, the team will backload it. And therefore, if the quarterback ends up not being that great and they want to replace it, they're tied into a ton of money those last two years, but it's actually the opposite for the Giants, where if in two years he's not as good as they, he's not progressing as well as they thought, then they can kind of let go and move on and not kind of be tied down to not being able to sign anybody else. So there's, it's been pretty back and forth with whether this was a good deal or not. Um, as a Giant fan, I'm not super tied to Daniel Jones. I think he's good. I don't think he's great. I don't know if he's the type of quarterback that can win a Super Bowl. I, I honestly can't see him being a Super Bowl winning QB, but he's he's efficient and they did decent. So I'd rather have him than have nothing or starting at square one or doing like the let's pick up Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield and let, let's see what they can do. You know, at least at least you have someone, you know, can win you some games. And maybe he'll keep progressing, you know, with a better coach now. So I think there's some optimism there. And and the the big criticism, I think, was how high he's being paid. So I have the current list now uh, in terms of AAVs. Do you want to guess how many QBs are currently being paid higher than him? Um, so Patrick Mahomes definitely is, right? Um, yep. I'll say, I'm trying to think of who's signed contracts in recent seasons. 
I mean, he's kind of notable, right? Because usually when a starting quarterback signs a, a new deal, it's a record-breaking contract. So you could yeah. you could argue that it from an, yeah <laughs> you could argue that the Giants have done fairly well from a negotiation standpoint, just not to have to sign a record-breaking deal. I'll say four quarterbacks are earning more than him. He's now the seventh highest paid quarterback. Okay. So Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen at 43, okay. and then Daniel Jones at 40. And he's right there with Dak, Stafford, Carr, and Cousins, which I think are like decently comparable. You know, like I don't, I don't think any one of those guys are much better than Daniel Jones well, is. The, and then, yeah, the tier he's in is the you're not going to win a Super Bowl with them probably. But if you're Although a, Stafford did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're a head coach, you're probably not going to lose your job because of them, which I think is always yeah. the interesting thing, right? It puts just coaches and GMs in difficult positions because as a fan you can say, hey, this guy isn't going to get us to the peak of the mountain, but you know, if you go through another rebuilding process, people grow tired of it. Personally, I would have wanted to franchise tag him and then Yeah, I, I that would be the ultimate, I think, is the franchise tag him. But so I would have given him one more year because basically we have a, one solid season of his career where it looks like he's a genuine NFL starting quarterback, kind of a playoff caliber quarterback. And even then there was a huge gulf between him and the elite. But I would have wanted just one and I would have just said to him, like, we need one more year, one more solid body of you know, piece of piece of work there so that then we can put a contract together that we feel comfortable with. But, you know, it's not it's not going to be a franchise ending deal. As you said, they can kind of get out of it after two years without it being uh, too big of a deal. And I also agree with you. And they're allowed to tag Barkley. Yeah. Because of this. Yeah. And the tag on a running back is much lower. So actually that works out better for them than to have to have either tag Jones and then let Barkley go, yeah. which I think probably not the worst move. I mean, you and I have always been not so high on running backs, but I think from a new general manager, new head coach to let go of the favorite player in the entire organization, both within the organization and, and the fan base, I think would have been a very risky move. So I think they're kind of playing the cards here of, you know, look, we're, building a culture, you know, and we're going to keep the players that everyone loves that are still good, even though they're probably a little overpaid at this point. So yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Well, I also think if you, once you decided you're going to keep Daniel Jones, you kind of had to keep Saquon Barkley because you don't want to take away weapons while you're trying to develop this quarterback yeah. and put him in a position where he suddenly have, has lost an integral part of their offense. And yeah, you're right. Because you couldn't have given Saquon Barkley a new contract. He's too injury prone. He's now getting kind of quite up in age when it comes to running backs as well. You know, like they age so yep. quickly. So he's the perfect candidate for a franchise tag. So yeah, it, it all, it, it makes sense. I, it's one of those ones, if it goes badly, they'll be criticized for it. You know, if he's terrible next season, you're going to have people talking heads and stuff ripping into them. But fundamentally it's a it's a logical move yeah and i mean after two years which would be halfway through the contract he probably won't even be in the top 10 of highest paid qbs and then when you think about what caliber he is he's probably you know right now i put him at 
the 10 to 15 range quarterback. So it's, it's not a terrible deal. I, you know, the Murray deal looks much worse compared to this. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the standout bad deals are Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. Those are yeah. the, and maybe you could even say Deshaun Watson, who knows? I mean, we haven't seen much, yeah, we much just, from him last year. Well, it's too early to judge, but yeah, it, potentially uh, a terrible one. And obviously that one's fully guaranteed and stuff. So yeah, that's yeah. possibly the worst of them, but it also might turn out to be a pretty good deal. Uh, yeah. I mean, what's, what's crazy to me is if you're someone like Joe Burrow, who now sees uh, Daniel Jones making $40 million a year, what must you be thinking? That come, I think next year his contract comes up, so he'll probably sign a new contract next year. What must you be thinking like you're in the ballpark of? $65 million a year? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. It's tough, though, because I think if you're smart, you've got to take the Tom Brady approach. And... Super long term. Well, you want to make money, but you don't want to make so much money that you're killing the cap of your team. You know, you want to say, "Look, I'll make forty million. Making forty million dollars a year is huge, and that's just from your, you know, contract with your the team you're playing for. On top of that, the endorsements that you're making, you know, you might be, you know, touching a hundred million potentially a, a, a year in whatever deals you have going on." So I think if he's smart, you'd, you'd decide to take a, a kind of, I hate the term team friendly because it makes it sound as if you're doing them a favor. I think you're doing yourself a favor. I think you're strategically saying, let's take a cap friendly contract so that I can be surrounded by talented players. And that's the, yeah, especially as a quarterback. Yeah. I, I think a quarterback is the only one who has the incentive to take a, team friendly deal yeah because because so much of their success rides around everyone else well also like if i'm if if i'm like a running back or a wide receiver i just take the most money again you know like well also too the quarterback is paid significantly more than those positions so you can take a six seven million dollar pay cut which allows them to sign an entirely new star player potentially in a position without feeling as if you're not earning enough. And also you've got a longer career. Like it's hard to tell a running back, take a team friendly contract, you know, like to, to turn to Saquon Barkley and say, Hey, we'd like to re-sign Daniel Jones. Do you mind maybe like taking three or 4 million under market value so that we can sign Daniel Jones? It's like, okay, that's great. Cause Daniel Jones is maybe going to play in the NFL for 16 more years. And if I managed to get another six, it would be remarkable. Yeah. You know, like that's instead of taking 75% less, can you take 90% less yeah. than Daniel Jones? <laughs> yeah. So, but um, yeah, I mean, I, and in terms of their other options, I mean, right now you have what Jimmy G, Aaron Rodgers, and maybe Lamar Jackson out there as potential big names. And I, I don't know if any of those options are better. <laughs> Lamar is the only one, right? Lamar is the one where it's just at a certain moment in time, he's reached maybe the tipping point in terms of his mindset and how trustworthy you could be and bringing him into a new team, how well that he might be received. Like if he does what he's done this season with the Ravens where you know it appears he was maybe healthy enough to play but decided he didn't want to, 
if you do that on a new team where you kind of have no equity, like at least in Baltimore, yeah. he's achieved enough where he maybe can make that decision without it seeming seeing as seeming as if he's kind of deserves it kind of little yeah earned it I yeah guess. but yeah i think i wouldn't want to touch aaron Rodgers at all and i think jimmy g daniel jones is kind of much of a muchness right like i don't think either one of them is is going to really get you there although obviously jimmy garoppolo's actually played in the super bowl so he has that going for him and aaron Rodgers has won a few mvps yeah and what yeah but i mean it's just an interesting one with Aaron Rodgers because it's you see with, with all the Aaron Rodgers talk and obviously it looks pretty likely that he's going to the Jets and you see how Tom Brady has sort of skewed the analysis of aging quarterbacks because there's just yeah. an assumption now that everyone can play quarterback at an, an elite level until they're 45 yeah. and Aaron Rodgers is going to turn 40 next season and, you know, people just think, yeah, of course he'll, you know, he's one year removed from an MV, MVP season. He'll probably be an MVP yeah. again before he retires. Let's just scratch everything we watched from last year yeah. that made him look really bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, that was a blip. Not that he's not that he's aging. <laughs> and scratch the playoff performances for the last 10 years. You know, there's, yeah. it's like, yeah, he's, he's can string together pretty nice seasons in sometimes weak divisions and rack up tons of passing yards, but in critical games, he's not really delivered. I mean, including this season against, you know, in the win and you're in playoff decider in, in week 18. And, uh, he didn't do yeah. it. He didn't do enough. Oh, and I mean, it, that is for me being, being from New Jersey, this is a very, very jets thing. Like Jets fans are probably so pumped, like, oh, we got Aaron Rodgers, and at just as pumped they were when they got Zach Wilson, and just as pumped as they were as they got this other guy. You know, like I think the Jets have just a terrible organization. Like I don't, I never like the moves they make. They never seem like good moves to me. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want him, but I mean, it's tough because they do have a good. I'd rather want Jimmy G, to be honest. I'd rather take Jimmy G. Yeah, it's tough because they have a good team. So it's this tough one because you don't want to waste the team that they have. I mean, I don't think they have a, like a Super Bowl caliber team, but they have a good team. And so you don't want to suddenly not have, yeah, you don't want to be filling the gap with Baker Mayfield and just punting seasons. But you also, you know, you could get to the end of three seasons with Aaron Rodgers having never made the playoffs and kind of wasted that window whilst feeling like you had a star quarterback, but, you know, a star quarterback in name, not in actual output. So just wrapping up the Daniel Jones, um, Warren Sharp, who's an NFL analyst, I think he does some stuff for like Fox Sports, but he's a pretty well-known NFL analyst, is not on the Daniel Jones <laughs> resigning train. He has had, I think, like four or five tweets in the past few days just like random statistics for why he thinks Daniel jo this Daniel Jones signing is just an awful move. The one that I found was kind of intriguing. He's the only quarterback in the modern era or passing era to play at least 10 games for three straight seasons and in each of those seasons throw less touchdowns than the games played. 
So in 2020, he played 14 games and had 11 passing touchdowns. In 2021, he had 11 games played and 10 passing touchdowns. And in 2022, he had 16 games played and 15 passing touchdowns. So uh, that is a little bit of a a skewed stat considering he had a lot of rushing touchdowns, which don't obviously get accounted for, but he is a part of. But uh, yeah, uh, Warren Sharp, definitely not on the Daniel Jones bandwagon. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a good statistic. And and maybe speaking of really good statistics, transitioning a little bit back to European football, just I guess we can talk a little bit about what happened in the Champions League this week. But a statistic that has been sort of pretty widely shared, but still maybe doesn't hasn't got the attention it's deserved, including it went into a couple of, of group chats that I'm in, and I saw it on social media a little bit. But uh, in their match last weekend that we discussed the Arsenal's comeback win against Bournemouth. It was the first time since the 22nd of January, 1986 in a league cup tie against Aston Villa that they named a starting 11 that did not have a single player that made a competitive appearance under Arsene Wenger. Now that to some, some people might not seem that amazing because obviously if you're not from it's 36 years yeah (laughs) but you know you might not know how long Arsene Wenger was at Arsenal so he joined the club in 1996 so the sort of 10 years he covers the 10 years preceding him every match that was played in that 10-year period prior to him joining one of those players subsequently played under him and he left the club in 2018 so you're now at Five years since he's Another left. Five years. Yeah. So Jeez. it's it's a significant period of time to have not been at a club and yet still had some kind of, particularly having left, you know, you can't, it's not like you had an influence on the club before joining, but certainly it shows, you know, the squad that he had when he left was still, and then obviously there's still players there. So it's not like there will be no more Wenger sort of, related players ever appearing for Arsenal again, but kind of in speaking of eras, sort of an end of an era, then I guess officially for Arsenal in that respect. Uh, that's pretty crazy. I I had a little trivia for you, actually, related to uh, overall European football. And I guess we can tie this in because, you know, Arsenal is leading the Premier League. Um, and, you know, maybe they have one of the top players in European football in total scoring. So my current trivia question for you is, as of now, who are the top five scorers in all competitions in European football? So by all competitions, you mean all domestic competitions plus European competitions? Yes. Uh, Not international. Yeah, so club... Club yeah. domestic, club yes. European. I mean, I I, yeah. I have to throw Erling Holland in there. Yes, <laughs> he is number one at thirty three goals in thirty four matches. I'll have to put in. I mean, you're saying there's an Arsenal player. No, no, I'm not saying. I said maybe there is an okay. Arsenal player. Um, I'll throw in Victor uh, Ossiemen from Napoli. Great guess, not in the top five. He is four away, four goals away. 
He has uh, 21 and 26. Yeah. Mbappe? Hasn't played as much. I'm presuming. Mbappe is number two. Everyone is talking about Holland, but Mbappe has 30 and 31, although the French League is yeah, he became P- lacking in, in quality. <laughs> he became PSG's all-time leading scorer uh, last weekend. Yep. He scored his 201st goal for PSG, I think it was. They made quite a big deal out of it during the match. And I don't know, I just... If you're PSG, you know, he's only, when you think of how short a time period he's been there, it kind of just makes a joke of both the league and your club history to have a player break your all-time leading goal scorer record in such a short period of time. And when you compare it to, say, someone like Harry Kane, who just became the Spurs' all-time leading goal scorer, that took him a decade, pretty much, you know, and... Mbappe has managed to do it at PSG in five seasons, six seasons. It's, it's, uh, the contrast is, it's pretty telling, I think. Okay. Who else would be on that list? Um, is there an Arsenal player? If there is, I mean, I can't even think of who it would, I think if it's like a red herring, I think there's not an Arsenal player. I mean, they're leading the Premier League, so right, they got to be scoring, no? I mean, not. They, it's quite. A, it's pretty well distributed, though. So it is because I would have thought maybe Saka. I'll put you out of your misery. There, there is no Arsenal okay. in the top, not even in the top ten. Um, Lewandowski, is he up there? He is number five. Twenty-five goals in thirty-one matches. Maybe a little disappointing if you're a Barcelona fan there. Yeah. Okay, I mean, you've... it's crazy to think 25 goals is disappointing, but you know, when you look at some of the players around, you'd expect a little more. Um, Marcus. So you have one, two, and five right now. You're missing three and four. Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford currently on fire. 26 in 41 matches. He is number three, tied for number three. So I'm miss- the last one you're missing. See, the temp- I would be impressed. Temptation is to name a Bayern player. But I don't think there will be a Bayern player because they're up front. They've had a number of injuries. And if it's Chupamoting, that will just depress me if, if he somehow managed to wrangle his way. Are, are they playing in a top division? Like, is this a requirement here? Or is this someone? No. Uh, as in top division, is they in are in the first division in their respective country. Yes. Okay. This is. A- Are they a top country? I would probably argue no. <laughs> um, is it someone playing for Benfica? No. Uh, Ramos is next. He's six for Benfica. Um, yeah, I'll give up then. I'll put myself out of my own misery. Okay. Enter Valencia for okay. Benerbachi. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, at least it's it's a list that's it's a high caliber list. That's for sure. So. And you have Salas up there in the in the top ten, and I think uh, Kane is also in the top ten. And speaking of Harry Kane, have to feel like that might have been the last time we see Harry Kane make a make an appearance for Spurs in European football. That was such a disappointing performance from Spurs on Wednesday at home to AC Milan, a team that are fifth in Serie A. So we're not talking about. You know, they didn't lose to some, they didn't lose to one of the elite teams in European football, put it that way. And Syria, I don't think is particularly strong. 
you know, you've got Napoli running away with it. I think there's not a lot of strength. And, and when you factor in Juventus's point deduction, helping AC Milan out there in terms of the table. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of strength and depth in Syria. So fifth in Syria is, should be significantly worse than fourth in the Premier League. And to play that second leg at home, coming into it only one down on aggregate and really barely land a blow against AC Milan. They had a couple of half chances throughout the match and then Harry Kane had what for him was a pretty good chance with two minutes to go. They had her from a free kick and you know he did almost as much with it as you would have hoped. It just in the end slightly too close to the keeper and the keeper made a decent save but you would just expect, especially in those final 15, 20 minutes, they kind of picked up the pace a bit and put AC Milan a bit under a bit of pressure. But you would just expect a team to really... You had nothing to lose. I mean, you're going out as things stand anyway. It weren't helped, obviously, by ascending off, but it was such a dismal performance that I think for Harry Kane, that has to make up his mind that he needs to go elsewhere. The thing that complicates it for complicates things for him a bit is... I assume he wants to be the Premier League's all-time leading goal scorer. So that means he needs to stay in the Premier League, which then... Yeah, where do you go? He ba- Not City. No, you would think not. Probably not United. I don't know, United... Chelsea? No, United's, <laughs> United's a likely landing spot. Yeah, you think? Yeah, because, I mean, they've got Weghorst up front, and there's no way they... Yeah, that's true. There's no way they think we'd rather, you know, figure out a way to keep Weghorst over signing Harry Kane. Chelsea, I guess, is a possibility on paper. They need a goal scorer, but to go from Spurs to Chelsea is, you know, those are the, the big rivals. Arsenal? That Yeah, that's not going to happen either. <laughs> I, it really is. It's either, it's almost certainly United or if I... Liverpool gave up on Darwin Nunez after a season. That's So, my... My hesitation, I guess, with United is I feel as if they keep going out and trying to sign whoever and oversign, and that for it didn't seem to be work. You know, like the whole Ronaldo thing did not work out, and there's been a lot of signings they've had that have not worked out. So are they just going to keep doing that, or are they going to try and build with now what looks like a team that's starting to put it together a little bit? Like, do you want to mess with that? Well, they need a center forward with the way they play. You know, Harry Kane suits their style. And, you know, obviously he and Kane and Rashford for England link up quite nicely consistently. So you'd kind of look at that and say that's a positive. Um, You know, he's guaranteed, you know, there's not many players in the world that you can just say are guaranteed 20 league goals a season. If you just, you know, if he goes to Old Trafford, you can just, you can, I'd say, pencil it in. You can pen it in. Like it's barring season-ending injuries, it's just a guarantee. So you look at that United team and think, you know, yes, Rashford's been scoring a lot of goals, but aside from Rashford, they don't really have consistent goal threats. If you added that in, I think you could make a compelling argument that this season, United with Kane would be right in the title race. So, you know, if you're them. It's the kind of marquee signing that you'd want. I think if you're the Glazers and you decide not to sell, it's the kind of marquee signing that shows that you're committed to the club. 
and vice versa, if the club were to be sold, that's the kind of signing you have as a new owner, which is a statement of intent of like, look, I'm here and I've signed, I've brought Harry Kane. I've brought the best goal scorer in English football to the club. What else can I do? You better love me. So I think United is the likely landing spot. The only way it's not is if he decides he really wants to be like a one club barring a loan spell player. Like if that really means a lot to him, that he will go down as this super loyal Premier League great. But I don't think he tarnishes his Spurs legacy by who, leaving. Who wasted a chance to never get trophies? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I I think if he stays at Spurs, I think he never wins anything. And you know, his best hope of winning something is probably with England. That's not a great position to be in. Like that's <laughs> that's not. You know, there aren't many players over the last sixty years who have said my best chance of trophy is playing for the England national team and have said it seriously. So, uh, yeah, I think he deserves to be part of a really good team. I also do think from, if he cares about his legacy, you have that risk. If England never wins something, there are people who poke holes in him from a all round play perspective. And they, they'll think of him as just this kind of flat track bully who managed to score goals in somewhat meaningless matches. But when the match is really counted, he comes up a bit short. Kind of, you add the penalty miss against France to that list. You know, he was he was injured in the when Spurs made the Champions League. He probably shouldn't have even played, but he didn't play well. You know, kind of all of these big moments he hasn't delivered. He needs to go to a good team so that he gets more of those big moments and is actually able to show what he's capable of doing on the biggest scene. And we kind of, in spite of how great his career has been, we haven't really seen exactly what he can do when the moment matters the most. Yeah, we'll have to uh, keep on watch for that once the season ends. Yeah, and finally, I guess we can say Chelsea, for the first time this year, calendar year, looked really quite good against Dortmund. I mean, they really dominated that match. Managed to win 2-0, get through. I mean, helped a little bit by a soft penalty and then being allowed to retake the missed penalty, which is the correct decision. But I think for encroachment, you could basically have every penalty retaken if you really looked at it. Like, I don't think there's a penalty taken where there isn't a player in the box at the moment the penalty is struck. And I also think it's an interesting one because there was also, like I think a Chelsea player was the first player to encroach. And then it was a couple of Dortmund players also did. And it's a weird one there of why do you get to retake it? Because you, you never see for the encroachment, you never see the penalty scored and they are forced to retake it. Like the encroachment only bails out the penalty taker, if you see what I mean. Like I, you never watch, oh, wow, they scored. And then two minutes later, like, no, no, sorry. One of your players is in the box. We need you to take that again. And so <laughs> I almost feel like if I were a t- team tactically, you'd be like, hey, guys, just encroach. Because yeah. probably a defender will go with you. And then if we miss, this might be our get out of jail free card. Yeah, must make uh, 
friend of the podcast, Ollie Happy, to finally see some wins. <laughs> it didn't even normally, you know, he's likely to kind of crow a bit in our group chats. I think he's so resigned to how poor their season is. There wasn't even, there were, we didn't have a peep out of him. So and that's that's the real litmus test of what this Chelsea season has done to the supporters. There's There's no bragging going on. <laughs> Do you have any more sports-related topics, Eddie? Because I have one non-sports. No, I think that's probably pretty much it. Have you watched the season premiere of The Mandalorian? I know you're a big Star Wars fan. <laughs> I have not. I think... Wow. Surprising. I think I've decided that I only have time in my Done. life. No, no, no. I'll watch it eventually, but... I only have time from in my life for one Pedro Pascal sort of experience. Lone wolf and cub scenario. A week? I mean, it's basically the same thing, but one's, one's with a child and one's with a puppet. Yeah, one's in space, <laughs> one's a zombie apocalypse. Like it's, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I, I'll watch it eventually. But I also, I mean, I just, when you throw in watching sport and work and stuff and having The Last of Us, I also don't have that much time for another TV show, so I have yet I've to watch. Got time, Eddie. I've yet to watch the. Man- it's true, I do, but I've yet to watch the Mandalorian. Yeah, it's um, people are not happy because a lot of people did not watch the book of Boba Fett, which in the last three episodes basically turned into season two point one of the Mandalorian. So those who have not watched it what happens in the beginning of season three for the Mandalorian people have no idea. Like, wait, wait a second. What, what the hell's going on right now? Because you end season two with him dropping off, uh, Grogu with, uh, or I guess not dropping off, but Grogu goes with Luke Skywalker. So, um, yeah, that is not how season three starts. I'll put it that way. (laughs) That's again, it's a good point. I can barely remember what happened in the book of Boba Fett. I, I think I've tried to, like men in black wipe that from my my brain yeah. but i i mean i i know this isn't what happened because obviously the season is done and completed but the way that that season of boba fett went it was as if they did four episodes and were like shit this is not good and people do not like this let's just go back to mando <laughs> like, because that's what literally what ends up happening is the i, I if i remember correctly it's like one episode has a little bit and then the next episode's like a little more. And then the last one's just a full Mandalorian episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was an episode that I think didn't even have Boba Fett in it. Yeah, I think so. There was, you know, you have a titular character, and I don't think he, I think there was an, a full episode in which he didn't appear. But yes, yeah, so episode, actually the first two episodes are now out. So um, I've only watched the first one. So I'll wait a little bit, maybe after last of us ends you can catch up and we can get on the back end if it's still worth it you mean or, but or if it becomes we do have another it. show we will be talking about eddie that you're gonna have to yeah. invest in and that's ted lasso starts wednesday yeah. uh so is, wednesday the 15th i is, believe is pedro pascal in that yes he is <laughs> he actually adopted that that girl that was in that one episode that you did very much did not like he's teaching her how to play football <laughs> oh, excellent that's just what the just what it needs yeah um i'm looking forward to ted lasso as you know as we've discussed previously great season one probably a mediocre season two and so this is the real test like how 
how will they deliver in season three? And my fear is my, I think we both had the pretty much the same criticisms, but it, it felt as if it went from like a kind of, I don't mean this is an anti-American slant, but like a kind of English humor style show made for a wider audience. And then because of the huge popularity of season one became more of a like general release American sitcom style, which took away some of the kind of entertainment of the humor and maybe even the intelligence of it. Um, Hopefully season three, they get back to what they were best at in season one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think season two was not as good as season one, but in terms of comedy shows on television or streaming, it's probably still the best one, even with that slight knock down from season one, because there just aren't many good television shows. There's not many good feel good shows that you just kind of have fun watching anymore. Everything's so deep and dark and heavy. (laughs) So that's why I really, really like Ted Lasso, because, you know, you laugh a little, you feel good, you're not... Except emotionally invested season, (laughs) season two, they brought some of the emotional aspect in obviously with his, with Ted Lasso's anxiety with, um, can never, which seems like it will, will be a theme of season three. Based on the trailer. Yeah. They still had that figure in the trailer. Um, and then obviously the, can't remember the name of the, the wonder kid who turned heel and has now, absolutely and probably the manager of West Ham United. Uh, but, you know, you had that whole storyline. It got maybe a little too deep. Like, I wanted surface level, feel good. We deal with some issues, but we mostly just, everyone has a nice time. Isn't this a simple world where this, like, basic man from Kentucky or wherever he's supposed to be from can turn up and basically read you a fortune cookie and you feel better about yourself. You know, like that's what I wanted from Ted Lasso. I didn't want to watch him having a mental breakdown in the, in a dark (laughs) bedroom, you know, like that's too much for me. Yeah. And I guess you're right. We'll have to see what happens with Nathan, who was the one-time equipment manager, half a season, low level assistant coach straight up to the West Ham manager. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting. And then with the 180 heel turn as being the most asshole villain ever created in a three episode span. Yeah. So because he didn't get enough credit for his incredible tactic of hold the bus. Yeah. Spark <laughs> the bus. Yeah. Of sit back, absorb pressure and maybe try and hit them on the break. The most basic of tactical plans ever, ever put together. But because he didn't yeah. wasn't recognized universally as a wonder kid, only in some newspapers, he was. Uh, yeah, I, 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 um, I mean, it's that doesn't bother me because, like, this is obviously not a TV show set in reality. You know, you can pick holes. He definitely doesn't have the coaching badges necessary to be a Premier League manager. Like, he just wouldn't be allowed to be. But then Ted Lasso doesn't either, so you can't start assessing it from that perspective. But. Yeah, I look forward to this bitter West Ham AFC Richmond rivalry. Yeah, I, I have to say, though, I did the last trailer they released with the Rolling Stones. I like that trailer. That trailer kind of got me excited a little bit. It's a good song to kind of get you uh, to get you 
like in the mood. The other thing I do like about the trailer, the implication is that they will be struggling. And I at least like that they don't go kind of completely lose their minds and we suddenly have Lester. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, at least, you know, but the promoted team who are suddenly in the top four, who would have seen it coming, but this, you know, amazing Ted Lasso story continues. So I do hope that they are struggling and they can just have West Ham struggle as well. Yeah. The, actually, the other show, Eddie, that comes back soon that some would label somewhat of a comedy, uh, Barry, season four. I don't know if you watch Barry, but it's a very, very good show, and it's in its final season. I watched the first two seasons of Barry. I really enjoyed it. And then it was just too difficult to watch from like where the platforms it was on here. And so season three, I just didn't watch at all. So before I watched season four, I would have to go back and watch season three. I, I really, I really, really loved it. It's just one of those, it's the downside sometimes to all of these multiple streaming platforms is like, it's not, it's not the convenience of a sort of cable or satellite experience. And there are these moments where you just not maybe paying attention to that particular like service provider. And yeah. realize, oh, well, for Americans, it's on HBO, which is pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> and in the UK, it's on Sky, but it's on Sky at weird times and stuff. Um, but, you know, still, you say, you say it's easy, but not everyone's got HBO, right? So then it's on Hulu, I guess. Well, if you don't have HBO, Eddie, then stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> well, I don't have HBO. So. <laughs> if you're American and you don't. <laughs> yeah. No, I just think that's. This is the big issue. I was speaking to someone the other day who hadn't watched Severance. I think Severance is one of the best TV shows from the last 12 months. But I'll give you a hot take. I haven't finished it. Okay. that's. I really liked it. And then some other things just kind of got in the way. And it's one of those shows that you have to, you have to be in the mood, the right mood to watch Severance. But I also think that's part of my point is like because it's on Apple TV and you're probably not going there that frequently. So even when you are then considering your options, Severance isn't kind of being debated with the consistency. Like if you stuck Severance on Netflix, you'd be thinking about it a lot more. Yeah. But there's like six things on Apple TV. So oh, you you hate to bet you love to bash Apple TV, but I I think Apple TV is decent. Value for money wise, you cannot cook. Severance, Ted Lasso, for all mankind. Which I didn't watch, but yeah, I, I'll... And now there's a lot of new ones coming out. Like Apple's making a really big push this year with some like high profile TV shows. Yeah, I mean like shrink shrinkage or shrinking, whatever. Um... Yeah, shrinking with uh, Jason Siegel and Harrison Ford. But people have said it's already renewed for season two. The problem is, like to use the kind of base, they have such little content on the platform that they have to bat a thousand to yeah. kind of deliver value for money in the way that Netflix does. Netflix is almost a reverse approach, which is like, we're just going to have a ton Throw of crap. Throw a thousand things at the wall. Yeah. And you'll like one of them. Like you're going to hate a yeah. lot of this. Like a lot of this is not for you. And a lot of this is garbage, but you're going to like. A one. lot of it is just bad. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a lot of stuff. And so you'll yeah. spend a lot of time looking through all of our content. The nice thing, I guess, about Apple TV is you can make your mind up really quickly as to whether or not you're going to watch something because it's like, all right, there's nine things. Nope. 
Netflix, you could spend three hours scanning various, you know, types of programming and then get to the end of it and have still selected nothing and also not even have come up with a good short list of stuff you want to watch. But I do think it's the weird thing. I feel like when we had one, maybe two streaming platforms felt like it was giving you more freedom and flexibility. And now that there are so many, I'm just, it's even worse. I just want to go back to <laughs> having just normal TV. Yeah. Like this is all I want now. Oh, I don't think you're alone in that. I think there's a lot of people now who are disliking streaming because it's there's too much going on right now. Because there is that, and eventually it's 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 gonna ha- something's gonna have to happen because you know they already consolidate and and then like branch off and consolidate and branch off because now I think Showtime is now part of Paramount. So that one has like been condensed now and, and it's like discovery is condensing, I think into, oh, I forget, I can't remember now, but it's, you know, like they're, oh, they're like a new streamers made and then it's gone in a year besides yeah. the major big ones. So eventually there's going to be some consolidation there, I think. Well, also, I mean, you have like Pluto. Do you have Pluto? I don't have it, but that's, that is like live TV. Yeah, it's, it's. It's like where to me, it's where technology goes full circle and you know someone sat in a room trying to raise money and was like, all right, can you imagine? It's like Netflix, but it's all live. You can't pick exactly what you want to watch. There's sort of like channels and that just pay that just plays content continuously. You don't decide what's on. And then we're gonna stick ads in it so that we make money off the advertising breaks. Someone's going, oh my God, what an what a crazy deal. You're revolutionizing like the TV industry. And they've just pitched old-fashioned television on a streaming platform. One of the shows that Pluto has, I don't know if you know, but it's like um I can't I don't remember what the channel I think it's called Slow TV is the channel on Pluto. And it's just like a train, a camera in front of a train yeah. and the train just goes and you just sit there and watch it. And it's one of those things you put it on. And you, like you could, you could kind of get trans into like watching it. Trans. <laughs> trans. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. We got really controversial here. If you watch a train for too long, you turn trans. But <laughs> you have a whole new channel called channel called trans spotting. And they it's just trains, but eventually, <laughs> eventually you turn. Um, I, yeah, no, I've, I've read about that and I've watched clips from it and it's remarkable. I get it because, I mean, I watch things on YouTube that are so mind numbing. Like it's like such basic stuff. I will watch people traveling places and places I'm never going to go. And I have no real interest in ever going it's not quite as boring because you still have someone like narrating or talking about what they're experiencing. And this is literally just like first person perspective from a train. And yeah, you stop. It's not first person. It's first well, train first perspective. Train. <laughs> and you do just, it's like Thomas, the tank engine perspective. And you do just stop in. like I saw a, like a highlight reel of it and it, which included, it, they were like, Oh yeah, we stopped at a station for 35 minutes. We were just like five minutes. Yeah, just yep. stationary. And you're just, you're just stopped stationary at the station. And it's not like the camera's panning. So you like see the people, it's just looking straight ahead. <laughs> yeah. It's a crazy world we live in like this. And that's where I can understand someone I can get. 
it makes me puts me in a difficult position because I can both understand why someone would watch it, and at the same time, it blows my. I'm mind. watching it right now <laughs> as we're podcasting on my second monitor. It's just this train. It is. All aboard Rainy Day Summer Run Part 1. Take a relaxing trip through the European countryside as a light summer rain falls from an overcast sky. And it is living up to that that plot. (laughs) But would you ever? You know, it would be like, for me, as someone who lives in Europe, tomorrow, if I, it's, it's basically saying tomorrow, if I really wanted to relax, I would just go hop on a train, sit there and just watch the world go by for six hours and i would never do that and if oh it just went in a tunnel and it's pitch pitch black black. (laughs) it's just been pitch black for 15 seconds (laughs) no i mean but you know like and if one of my friends i would judge one of my friends a lot less for saying they watched this like two hours yesterday and like okay i kind of like hopped on a train but if they just said i had nothing to do yesterday so i took an hour-long train ride out of paris and an hour-long train ride back into paris just to see the countryside and see what the world was like and i would think they were a little bit of a book yeah i thought they i would think they were a real weirdo although in reality that's actually a much more interesting day (laughs) yeah it's true yeah i mean watching this it looks like i don't know if this is at all accurate but it does look like the French countryside a little bit and watching this makes me kind of go like, Oh, wouldn't it be nice to take a nice just train ride from, you know, one part of France to the next. That would be so nice. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I love trains. And one of those things I want to do is like, I do too. Those super long train rides, like across Canada and stuff that you can do where you do just go through endless, beautiful scenery. Yeah, like the Hogwarts express. I'd love to get on that. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me, but yeah, those, those ones in like Canada and Alaska that you see that look spectacular those i would i would love to do those so yeah norway has some good ones too yes but at the same time maybe the downside of it is part of the in my mind because like okay a seven day long train ride across canada at what moment in time do i think i may have seen enough beautiful scenery (laughs) you know like when have i had enough and I go, oh, look, we're going by another incredible lake and some mountains. You know, like that's. I mean, I'm sure this has already been done, but maybe we can kind of make this like like a cruise meets train. Where like you're on a train that's a sleeper train, but then it'll stop at a place and you spend like a day or two at the place. Then you hop back on the train and keep going and see the scenery and then stop for like a day at another little small town. Oh, yeah, that 100 percent exists. Are you sure? Because I think the ones you're talking about, I thought they just go straight. Like they don't stop for a whole day. They uh, well, for those ones do kind of just go straight. There are ones that do do the stop start, and plus you can. That would be kind of nice. You could then. plan your journey because obviously you could just get off it on one day and then get back on to do yeah. the like next leg of the journey the next time. But yeah, those ones were because the other thing too is they are incredibly expensive. Like <laughs> when you really because I've watched a YouTuber who that's what he does actually like and again that's why i kind of get the train channel he just takes train journeys around the world and here's the other thing like uh they have shows like this on the bbc that my parents watch like and if i go to stay with well like plan is is this is this worse or i guess worse than the right word is this more strange or less strange than like planet earth i guess they're on a par with each other but i i guess 
you probably not the planet earth that like describes things the planet earth that's literally just like sunrises in oh. different locations oh, and things like that okay no i thought you were talking about like the attenborough he's telling you this no it's like planet sunrise oh. i don't think it's called planet sunrise but something like that oh no that's where it's like that's planet earth wake up or something no 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 that's way worse because at least with the train, like the train journey ones my parents watch are actually better than the train journeys I watch in a sense, because then they're trying to give you like historical facts. So the guy's like, I'm going to take the train from Paris to Rome. And then he tells you things about that journey, about how, you know, like the history of that, you know, connecting those two cities and stuff like that. You learn a lot of interesting things. The one I watch, he just says, and on the second day, they served a steak for for lunch it was pretty good <laughs> and he's just reviewing the experience right of this five-day train journey and then you get to the end of it and he goes so the co- total cost of that journey was seven and a half thousand dollars and then i think to myself Jeez. no i mean it's it's <laughs> it's like super expensive you know but then you, i <laughs> I gotta edit that out now, Frank. <laughs> also... Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, do you want to give a review of that? Tasty. Oh, there we go. <laughs> um, you can kind of say it's like a, it's like a, you know, like going to a club med sort of thing. Like you're, you've got every. You're not going to spend any more money than that while you're on the train so i can get it it's all of your meals it's your accommodation it's absolutely well i mean i I say all of your meals there's still like a drinks car so if you do one like in the evening if you want to have some drinks you're paying for that yourself but i don't know that would be the other downer what's the uh noise blocking abilities of those sleeper cars um yeah i don't think it's great so yeah i think if you're if you're not an easy sleeper i think that could be uh i mean some of them are super luxurious though but others not so much you are like some of them are luxurious for a train which when you then really get on it you're like that's not that luxurious some of them are luxurious for anything but you know it's the same those ones are super fancy. that's the ones that go from like paris to nice and are yes. like seven thousand dollars <laughs> yeah 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 well you have like the orient express that has like you can do paris to venice on the orient express for example and that's just like out of this world luxury but that's yeah a, that's very a, opulent yeah but that's <laughs> like a 32 hour train ride and it is ten thousand dollars so yeah You've got to really be into the experience to justify spending that kind of money. Now, let me ask you this as a way to wrap up us talking about a TV show about a camera on the front of a train for 15 minutes. If you had the money, would you prefer to do, let's stick with what you said. Was it Venice or Rome? That was Venice, yeah. Would you stick with the Paris to Venice via the super fancy train or private jet i would train always if really oh yeah if money were no option i mean obviously there's times when time constraints but i think you have to play that in no matter what well no but i mean if you're telling me i've got to be in 
Venice tomorrow for some important event, then the train's out the window. But you have a you have a week vacation in Venice. Oh, I'm train. No, not thinking twice. I would take the train at every. You'd rather waste a day on a train than be in a private jet where you can get also very opulent, but a what tenth of the time. <laughs> for starters, I don't think I'm a private jet person. I think. Not to but get, you're a private train person. Not to get too uh, like uh, lefty and liberal here. Oh, don't get environmental on me. <laughs> because if you're going to say that paying $10,000 to get on a train that probably has 10 other people on it to chug all the way across using coal for 22 hours <laughs> is more coal. energy efficient. <laughs> I mean, what about the four poor guys in the back that are shoveling the coal into the train? <laughs> You think it's fun for them, Eddie? <laughs> no. So, no, I genuinely would say I don't think I would take a private plane. For unless it were in, unless you were in situ like emergency situations, so that was the only way of getting somewhere in the time that you needed, or obviously, uh, if it was just like I'm trying to fly from, I don't know. Say I was, say I'm a billionaire and I'm trying to fly to Arizona to see you then yes, the prospect of a private plane where I can fly direct from Paris to Tucson versus taking at least one connection, possibly two, you know, like that, that bit, you could maybe convince me. But I think in general, I would, I would train always, always, always. Like, I mean, you're talking to someone who I've gone on business trips from Paris to Manchester and I've taken the train the whole way. Like that that's a 90-minute flight. I took <laughs> I took like 11 hours by train. Like there was That's uh, pretty funny. And it was more expensive by train, throwing in the multiple. <laughs> so, I didn't save money, I didn't save time. And it costs more energy. <laughs> and you ruin the planet a little more. See, I still think environmentally that was probably the more friendly option. Yeah, because you're on a you're on a commuter train. But if you're riding that Orient Express that that is has like fifteen other people on it. <laughs> I still think I still think it's probably more environmentally friendly than a plane. We can do research. I don't know. We have, List, yeah, listeners we have if to you, ask. listeners, if you have strong opinions, this is obviously the good opportunity for us to say, uh, you know, follow us on Instagram or Twitter. You can tell us your thoughts there. We maybe run a poll on Twitter. And people can can give their vote, and also something we don't ask you to do very frequently. But I guess if we're good pi- podcasters, we have to every once in a while. Probably not the smartest donations. Do. <laughs> probably not the smartest to do at the very end of the episode. But if you've made it this far, then you know do make sure that you subscribe and leave us a review or a, you know uh, on whichever podcast platform that you use because it just does help us to get more listeners. Hopefully, if you've made it this far, a positive review. But I'd actually rather take a negative review than no review. Wow. Helps the algorithm. You're, you've got crazy opinions all day. <laughs> Look, I, I would always rather listen to a podcast, I think. I would, I would definitely listen to a podcast that had like 10,000 one-star reviews. I would be like, I've got to see what's going on here. <laughs> this must be terrible. <laughs> I got to see why these people must be huge a holes. Yeah, like why do people oh. keep keep coming? Oh, back? it's just it's just Joe Rogan. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Rogan probably does have that many negative, but he's got a ton of positive too. So. Oh, I won't even go into my recent Joe Rogan experience, but 
not obviously personal. Thank you. <laughs> I can talk. I can talk Pluto TV train rides all day. I don't have time for Joe Rogan. <laughs> or would you rather? Final question for you then to wrap things up. Would you rather sit on a four-hour private jet with Joe Rogan, or a or if I, if I, it's difficult to do the train versus private jet because you're just going to pick whichever one's shorter, I presume. And I can't think of someone else who would be like the equivalent, like the slightly more enjoyable. Or 22 with Bill Simmons <laughs> on oh, a I train. Take, oh, I, take I would take that time. all day. Yeah. I mean, as a, Simmons is my nemesis, but I would still very happily be sat next to him because I think I would. I would yeah, like I, I, like, I like Bill Simmons. So you're the only he, one who, who is your arch nemesis. Well, you only... You only experience him through the rewatchables. A little bit on the Bill Simmons podcast, if if it's of a topic I'm interested in. And you think I'm alone? Go read the Bill Simmons subreddit. And that is people who hate love him. <laughs> I mean, that's just all it is. It's people every episode. Oh, this is the worst of Bill Simmons. This is why we hate Bill Simmons. Oh, he's <laughs> he's not what he used to be, but they're still listening to every episode upon the fourth time i listened to it i really understood how terrible he is <laughs> oh, it's people just ripping it it shows us i mean i hope we get to the stage where we've got a subreddit with twenty thousand people in it or whatever it is you know if any listener wants to go out there and create the big chill podcast subreddit we're never going to create it for ourselves so by all means do i will read it i doubt frank well yeah because we tried they wouldn't let us <laughs> <laughs> i would read it i don't think frank would but you know, it's obviously a compliment to have that many people participating in your subreddit, but it is just such a cesspool of negativity that it is most of the people who have decided to join that subreddit have done so just so they can bash you on a weekly basis. I, you're right. I probably wouldn't read it. I mean, I think I have to be on Rate My Professor, right? I've never read that. Maybe. Is that public? Act? Like, is that, can anyone access that? Yeah, I think so. Oh, maybe we're going to have to dedicate an episode to reading your professor your reviews. I can't imagine I have many. I only teach one course, so. Well, if there's three. I probably only have like five reviews. Yeah, and the, the likelihood is, based on what you tell me about your class, it's probably people leaving like super banal positive reviews. Like, you know, Frank is yeah. a good professor. I enjoyed his course. Easy course. <laughs> Easy A. <laughs> I hope that's what it says. Yeah, that's every professor's dream. Well, anything else, Eddie, before we wrap up? No, that's pretty much it for me. I guess, do we, because there might be some listeners who will never check what the Blackburn score ever was. They went 3-0 down. They fought back to 3-2. They... I know they kind of gave themselves a little bit of a chance saying that they scored in the 86th and the 90th minute. So it didn't, it never felt likely, but uh, you never know. I guess the positive Good fight, well, goal difference, unlikely to play a part, but it might do. And you may as well, it's better to lose three, two than three nil. So let's just take the, those final six, seven minutes of the performance and, put them into a full 90 next time out. Actually, Eddie, I did have one question we can do quickly as, as a wrap up and as a preview for the last of us finale. So we've talked a few times about, you know, what would we do in that certain situation and things like that. Um, 
we did already discuss the would we eat each other or would we eat someone. Uh, we won't go into, I had heard a few other people doing the like, what part of the human would you eat first? We don't have to get into the specifics. But that's pretty much that's the general consensus. Leg. Start with the upper portion of the leg. Oh, no, mine's full um, on butt cheek. I mean, that's the obvious. Yeah, but that's basically like part of like the when you take a chicken thigh. Yeah, uh, I know, but I'm going butt. Wing. I know, but I'm not going upper leg. Like, I'm not going into your thigh. I'm going butt cheek. Okay. All right. See. Relax over there. <laughs> <laughs> My question, Eddie, is um, if we go back to episode six or seven, I believe, the one with um, the flashback to the uh, the mall, it, the mall yeah. episode. They played some video games and they were huge fans of Mortal Kombat 2. Let's go nostalgia here. And what would be your arcade game of choice? I'll let, do you want to think about it? Cause no, I, I can I, start I, I with can, mine. I can give one immediately. It, wow. It's time okay. crisis. Like it's oh, classic. It's classic game. It's, it's automatically time crisis. Yep. Time crisis also on my list. I have, I had, I had a bunch. So I was thinking, cause I thought about this the other day. Uh, I think to think, to throw like a little sports in the mix, you could do NBA Jam and NFL Blitz a little bit, both decent games. But I kind of associate those both more with consoles, even though I know they exist in arcade format. But to me, my yeah. my experience of that was more from consoles. I think mine's about 50-50. I will give you mine that I used to play all the time when I was younger because one of the places I used to play hockey used to have it and it was one of the only games it had off-road I don't know if you ever played off-road it was a uh, from a visual standpoint it was a terrible game was a little monster trucks that would go around the track and you'd have to like spin the wheel really fast and like spin it the other way and like curve out and you had little boosters very minimalist game but there's something about it that i could just play it for like hours it was just you could get into it really easily driving games would be on the list like cruising usa yeah oh cruising usa would be up there for sure classic speaking about arcades and just a little and this combines actually to both topics the desire to go by train and arcades (laughs) when i was uh 20 19 maybe um we planned like a group trip like a guy trip to croatia from paris and when we looked at the prices of flights so we we're going to havar which is an island like a holiday island like party island off the coast of croatia and we're a little bit ahead of the trend i have to say from an international perspective it's now become like one of the most popular destinations in Europe. But we were there a little yeah. bit early. I was a trendsetter in that respect. But where was my invite on this? I didn't know you at this point. Had to be pretty close. Um, yeah, this is, I, I met you probably three, three years later, I guess. Oh, thanks for the invite. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll just, next time I just, I'll just send open invitations out to the world and hope that someone I like in the future comes along. But yeah, we planned this trip. It was with a bunch of guys I went to high school with. And we were coming from Paris and we looked at the flights to, we were going to 
Split in Croatia. And the flight was like round trip Paris to Split was, I don't know, 250 euros. But then we looked and we're like, well, we could take the Eurostar to London for like 90 euros round trip. And then we could fly from one of the London airports to Split for like 100 euros round trip. So like we could save like 60 euros from doing this. And oh my God, I got to say, looking back on that, how, how ridiculous of a thought was that? <laughs> and here's the thing is like, I don't want to make it seem like the price was no, like didn't matter at all. But fundamentally, like we weren't needing to save that money. And we, so we, but we opted for the London option and our flight out of London then was at like six in the morning. So we're like, well, we'll just go to some bars in London. We'll have a fun night out in London. And then we'll go fly right out. to the airport. Yeah. And then we realized, Oh like, my God, this has disaster written all over it. Well, then we realized the trains weren't going to be running early enough for us to take the train to get to the airport. So we're going to have to take a taxi to the airport. That was going to make it, that was going to completely blow the logic of going to London first out of the water. So we would, we decided to go to the airport pretty much straight away, spend the evening, like the night in the airport. And we presumed <laughs> that there were going to be, sounds so terrible. <laughs> we presumed that there were going to be bars open, you know, like, oh, there's going to be like no, one 24 hour bar or something. But no, at 11 o'clock, everything shut. And literally the only thing open 24 hours was the arcade. And <laughs> so we just went to the arcade. And played in the arcade for maybe six hours, and was I it would just you, you guys in the arcade. Was anyone else in there? No, it was just the five or six of us in the arcade. No one else ever stepped foot inside. That's there, awesome. I mean, there weren't many people in the airport at all because this, this is like the Last of Us. <laughs> yeah, because this wasn't even you know this was just like the European. We were in just the terminal for European flights, so you know you're not getting people on it's not like you're going on the yeah. major international flights and people have big layovers or something you're you're not really experiencing that so there weren't really any, like there was no one else there and uh we i conservatively would estimate i spent 150 pounds <laughs> in that arcade so good i love it like oh that is that is amazing so all i actually wait let me ask you this did you play because I'm, I'm thinking now of like expensive games the most expensive game that there ever was that you could never get past like three or four minutes was that dragon flying game do you know that game we're talking about where it was like way ahead of its time it had like super nice graphics and you would be the dragon you'd be like flying in the sky but it costs like two bucks to play for five minutes i'd say i probably spent <laughs> 60% of the money on Time Crisis. Like we oh, so good. we just good determined game. we were going to beat Time Crisis. That became like the group goal. Did you beat it? No. And so Not we were just, close. you know, just sticking more money in and rotating in and out. But eventually you kind of, every once in a while, someone would let it slip. Like someone would just lose their patience with it. And oh. so then you wouldn't be able to then get that person back in. And then that was kind of the end of the road. And you had to start all over again. So no, we didn't do it. The only other notable thing from that trip was that was the night, that was the day indoor smoking became illegal in the UK. And so I'm, I've never been a smoker, but two of my friends did smoke the last ever cigarette in, this was in uh, Heathrow, I think, 
I think it was Heathrow, not Gatwick. But yeah, smoked the last ever cigarette as it went to midnight when they were closing the smoking lounge. They <laughs> kind of, you know, kind of have their moment in history having uh, that. I bet final... they got plaques on the wall because yeah, of that. Yeah, <laughs> having those final cigarettes. Yeah. I mean, the the other games that we used to play a lot, uh, arcade games, were the like the ones where you'd spend a ton of money trying to beat it were The Simpsons and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were yeah. two pretty good arcade games that you would spend a ton of money just trying to continually play it and beat it. And there were those ones where it was like 2D, but then a little bit of a 3D where you could kind of go like up and down like a little bit, but not really. It was like really, when you look back on it, it was really, really bad yeah. of how kind of like two and a half dimensional it was. But, I mean, oh, those were so good in the day. Speak, they were just such good games. Speaking about billionaire splurges, if I were a billionaire and had, you know, a huge house, I would definitely put an arcade in it. Even though I would probably yeah. use it twice a year, but just for that moment Every once in a while, someone came over to your house and you're like, let me just show you this. And you opened up a room filled with all the classic arcade games. And I mean, you could even do now, like you can get that one that's one that has like 50 games. Uh, that feels I know, I know you feels, don't want that. I know no. you want all individuals. I get yeah. it. Those, but you could at least start with that. Those feel cheap. Then that to me is like, <laughs> play, a, play a console, buy yourself an Xbox. Like, <laughs> you know, like the... I want. I definitely f- get skee ball in there, though. Yeah. Oh no, I'd have four, air four person skee ball at least. Air hockey. I'd have. You know, I want everything. I was thinking to myself, the gun, here, the, the gun, fill up the balloon game. You get like eight people on that at a party. Because <laughs> I was thinking to myself the other day, I'd really like to have a pool table in my house. Yeah. Because you I need do. a lot of room for that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you need one room, room that you have no other need for. Really? We had one in college in our basement. Yeah. But I just, because I was thinking to myself the other day, you know, like if I had a pool table right now, how many hours of pool do I think I'd play by myself per week? And I think, we did it a lot. I like think, you, you, you play it, I think, more frequently than you think. Yeah. And then it would be like, how good at pool could I become? Not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not a great pool player. Darts, which is a more realistic thing for me to have in my house, I think I could at least become a decent darts player. But I think I would, I could play a lot more pool by myself than I could play darts by myself. I thought about getting a dartboard in my office, but I think the noise would be too much for my surrounding colleagues because that the dart does make a noise yeah, when it hits thud. the board. So yeah, I think yeah. it would be really annoying because yeah. <laughs> it would be on their wall, you know. So <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit of an asshole move. But I do like the idea if you're rich in arcade. I mean, I, 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 if I were rich, I wouldn't buy that big of a house. But what I would definitely do is I would definitely have my own gym for sure. That would save me so much time to like not have to, one, drive to a gym and How, two, deal with people. What do you need in your gym? I need like a decent rack, um, a good amount of weights, good amount of dumbbells, and maybe like – two to three machines i don't need like all the machines just like two or three that i use i mean we know you need a an elliptical oh oh i'd love an elliptical that would be and a stairmaster at this point now i'm invested in the stairmaster stairmaster takes up a lot of space that's a big it does that's a big machine 
But I think I'm one of like five people at my gym who regularly uses the Stairmaster. And I would love to challenge the other four because I don't think they could beat me at this point. There's, I mean, there's one Stairmaster in my gym and it almost never gets used. As I said, I, I told oh, you there was, I this, love it. there was the one period in time where there was a girl coming in wearing unsuitable clothing and would just get on the Stairmaster. And by that, I don't mean like scandalous. She was just wearing like normal street like clothes. jeans? She was wearing, <laughs> yeah, I think it was like a jean skirt and a leather jacket. And then she was hop, awesome. then she was just hopping on the Stairmaster and just doing like, you know, a thousand steps or whatever on the Stairmaster. It, There's also that other one now, the Jacob's Ladder, that is similar to the Stairmaster, but you like on all fours. People seem to like that one. I just like, you look so strange doing that. I can't do it. Yeah, in public, that's tough. If you had that in your own yeah. house, you could get into it. The only one that I think is a little stranger than that is that the ski machine one. I don't know if you've seen that one where it's like the two handles up top and you literally just like, like you're like doing your ski poles, like from like up top all the way down. Would you have a Versa? It's really strange. Versa climber or whatever in your. The Versa climber is the ultimate fitness tool. So would you have that? It's so tough that no one uses it. Would you have it in your house? (laughs) No, because I never use it now. We have one at our gym and I don't use it. It's too, it's too difficult. That's like wrestlers love the the Versa climber. LeBron James loves the Versa climber. So. Yeah, he loves red wine. So <laughs> those two things related. <laughs> yep, that's just like Tinder profile, red wine and Versa. I would climber. have that. I would have a really nice, like, doesn't have to be necessarily a theater room, but a really nice room to watch television in. I wouldn't do the theater room because I just don't. Like, I don't like going to the movies enough to think that I want to recreate that experience in my house. But I agree with you. I no. would want to create, like, people who have, like, the full home cinema thing. I don't kind of get it because it's like, well, okay, maybe when you're watching a movie, it's nice. You have the, like, movie night at home. But I don't want to watch, yeah. like, a sports game in this environment. So No. I'd want to create. Give me like a, so like a really really nice TV with a with a nice couch. I don't want the leather recliner like movie theater ones. I want just a good couch and maybe like a little mini bar in the back. Yeah, <laughs> not much then. <laughs> yeah, one day, one day. Once we're once this podcast is bigger than Bill Simmons, that's when we we splash out on the house. Yeah. All right. Well, with with those hopes and dreams, I think we'll call it a day. Yeah. Talk to you later. See you.